Good morning and welcome to Love Chapel Hill. We are glad that you have decided to tune in today, whether you are watching with our live watch party on Sunday mornings, or you are watching later in the week, or even listening on the podcast. We are glad that you are here with us. This is the third week of Advent, and we will be lighting the third candle of our Advent wreath to start out our service today. And this third candle is the pink one, and it is the candle of joy. And I will be reading a scripture for us this morning to go along with that. And that scripture comes from Luke chapter 2. Yes, I'm, I'm actually entering the story of Jesus now and <laughs> dip to the third week of Advent. And I will be reading verse 8 through 20. So will you listen to this story? Um, and today I'll be reading from the voice translation. So listen to the story of our Lord. Nearby in the fields outside of Bethlehem, a group of shepherds were guarding their flocks from predators in the darkness of night. Suddenly, a messenger of the Lord stood in front of them, and the darkness was replaced by a glorious light, the shining light of God's glory. They were terrified. Don't be afraid. Listen, I bring good news, news of great joy, news that will affect all people everywhere. Today in the city of David, a liberator has been born for you. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. You will know you have found him when you see a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a feeding trough. At that moment, the first heavenly messenger was joined by thousands of other messengers, a vast heavenly choir. They praised God singing, to the highest heights of the universe, glory to God, and on earth, peace among all people who bring pleasure to God. As soon as the heavenly messengers disappeared into heaven, the shepherds were buzzing with conversation. Shepherds, let's rush down to Bethlehem right now. Let's see what's happening. Let's experience what the Lord has told us about. So they ran into town and eventually they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the feeding trough. After they saw the baby, they spread the story of what, had, what they had experienced and what had been said to them about this child. Everyone who heard their story couldn't stop thinking about its meaning. Mary too pondered all of these events, treasuring each memory in her heart. The shepherds returned to their flocks, praising God for all they had seen and heard, and they glorified God for the way that <clears throat> the way the experience had unfolded, just as the heavenly messenger had predicted. Hi, Love Chapel Hill. It's Brooke with Connections, and I am personally inviting you to come to our new watch party on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you are like me and have been wanting to see people at the varsity every Sunday, but you can't, then this is a way for us to meet together and watch the sermon together, talk with each other, get to really have that time of community on Sunday mornings. So if you would love to do that, please join us 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we will be watching the service together via Zoom. I hope to see you all there. Hi, everyone. My name is Lauren. I want to give a special hello today to anyone that is joining us for the first time. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill. 
if you're joining us because you're in search of a church community to join, or if you're just watching this video because you're curious, I want to invite you to fill out a virtual connect card. As someone who filled out a connect card this past summer, I can vouch that this is a really easy way for you to ask any questions that you might have, for you to tell us a little bit about yourself if you want to, and for you to learn more about the Love Chapel Hill community. You can also get connected to prayer meetings, small groups, or discipleship bands by reaching out. So in order to do that, if you are on YouTube or Facebook, you can look in the description for the link that says connect card, or you can go to our website at lovechapelhill.com and click the tab that says connect card. We are really looking forward to getting to know you better, and I'm really excited that you're joining us today. Come, ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come, ye, oh, come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king. adore him come let us adore him Christ the Lord sing choirs of angels sing an exaltation sing all ye citizens of Love Chapel Hill. Welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, we are in this point of the arc of the story where we are longing for, waiting for, hoping for the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, part of our normal rhythm as a church, an intentional rhythm as a church over the last 11 years has been to start in the fall in the Old Testament to make sure we're rooting ourselves in that full story, the full scope of scripture, the story of God's salvation history with humanity. Uh, and then as we follow along with that story arc through the Old Testament, we bend towards this moment of Advent where we sink down into the story. It's this uh, spiritual art of pilgrimage, of walking with the ancient people of Israel as they were longing for the arrival of the promised Messiah. And so we follow in that pattern uh, during this season of Advent. 
Uh, Advent culminates in this moment of Christmas, uh, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of that promise, the Savior of the world has arrived. And then after Christmas, uh, through the 12 days of Christmas into Epiphany, uh, and then into the new year, we will end up spending uh, the, the winter rooted in the Gospels and immersed in a Gospel story, following, continuing to follow that story arc of the life of Jesus. We'll walk with Jesus through his ministry uh, until we get to this moment of Lent. And as we enter into the season of Lent, we will turn that corner and begin to make that journey with Jesus towards the cross, towards the moment of the resurrection, uh, which then opens up this entire new reality in the world. Then we will continue to follow the story to the ascension of Jesus, uh, to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on those first believers and the church of Jesus is unleashed in the world. So that is our natural rhythm and this arc that we continue to follow uh, as a church family. And so today here in, uh, in the third Sunday of Advent, here's where we are in the story. We're continuing to look through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, in that first chapter, the genealogy that Matthew lays out, uh, he begins by saying, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Today, we're gonna continue in the next several verses. Um, we're gonna be from verse one uh, to verse six. And I want you to listen uh, for a few names that show up, for four names specifically that show up in this genealogy uh, that we're going to be unpacking today and spending our time. Uh, I want you to listen for names that might surprise you. Here's what he says as he continues with verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. The brothers referred to there, uh, we're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob who become the 12 tribes of Israel and Judah, the tribe of Judah being that line that Jesus comes out of. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So as we spend this time uh, in these verses today uh, and begin to uh, look at this scope of the story that Matthew is laying out for us, there are four names that leap out of this list. It's easy to kind of get lost in this list of names. Uh, some of those names we might not even recognize. Um, but there are four names that really emerge, that come to the surface, that Matthew is intentionally highlighting in verses three and verse five and in verse six. Uh, and what Matthew is doing in this is bringing us to a point, two things here, a point of honest recognition and healing redemption. Honest recognition and healing 
redemption. The four names that we are talking about here are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, who doesn't get mentioned by name, but is referred to here as Uriah's wife, who had been Uriah's wife. That's not an attempt to uh, push Bathsheba out by not naming her. Instead, it's, it's a very clear move of confronting David's sin in that story as we're going to unpack that together. Uh, this was a radical move for Matthew to do this, for Matthew to include uh, these four women in this list of the genealogy of the Savior of the world. As Matthew is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, and he's taking them back through that rich Jewish history of uh, God keeping his promise and the, the covenant that God had made with his people. He is intentionally uh, forcing honest recognition and telling them that honest recognition is the beginning of healing redemption. In this day and time, uh, it was not common at all. It was a very rare move to include the names of women in a family genealogy. That was just the reality of this patriarchal culture at that time and that place. Uh, it was the names of the men in the family line that they pointed to, that they honored, and that they revered. So Matthew is making an intentional move here, and it's a radical move by calling women by name and by highlighting their role in this story. Uh, the way that God used them, the way that God saw them, the way that God heard them, and the way that God moved to bring their stories to a point of redemption. So we're going to be getting into that today. Honest recognition, which leads to healing redemption. Honest recognition, which leads to healing redemption. Um. Many of you uh, probably have a list of pandemic projects that you have uh, tried to accomplish, right? Over this stretch of time where life has been disrupted in so many different ways uh, and this, this desire to kind of bring something out of it, right? Um, for us, uh, we had a few projects around the house and in our yard that we were uh, wanting to accomplish together, Sarah and I. Um, and it probably comes as a surprise to exactly no one that I am not a very handy person, all right? Not a craftsman per se, never been accused of that. Um, but some of the projects that we were wanting to tackle, it's like very like low level, okay? Uh, one of those that's about my level is a fire pit area that we wanted to put in in our backyard. And so there's this little spot back there in the trees and there's this kind of little clearing in, in some of the trees uh, that we felt like would be a perfect little spot to, to build this fire pit area, you know, uh, outlined with these rock pavers and then the, the, the rocks in there, put, put some nice chairs out there with a, with a fire pit. Uh, and so that's what we set out to do. We decided to try to do that and take this project on. Um, I don't know much about how to do those things, but I did understand that because of the way the ground was, I needed to try to level some of that ground um, in order to make this happen. And I'm about 30 minutes into this, and right at the beginning of, of this project and this work, 
when I'm starting to uncover, I'm talking about we're just barely scratching the surface of the ground here. And I'm starting to uncover in the dirt more and more um, pieces of broken glass. And so I'm trying to pick these up and trying to clear this out. That's not good. We've got, you know, two young boys uh, who are will be out there running all over the place. And so I'm, I'm like, OK, we got to clear this out. And so just barely scratching the surface, we start to find that. We begin to dig a little bit deeper in trying to, to deal with this and trying to address it. And all of a sudden we're finding uh, rusty metal. Um, we're finding, uh, we found an old hubcap from like the 1950s. <laughs> we're finding all of this old, rusted, uh, sharp, dangerous stuff. We're finding pieces of a bed frame, like car parts, and all, all of this just by barely digging into this ground. I'm pretty upset by it. I'm pretty annoyed at this. Um, and, and realize that, that, this land that's like now our home, right, that we're living on at some point apparently was a dumping place for someone who would just bring their trash out there in the woods and in, in the trees and, and, and just bury it and leave it there for now that I have to deal with it, right? I didn't put it there. I didn't do this. That's not my trash. That's not my junk. But now, because I'm wanting to restore this place, because I'm wanting to use this place as this family gathering spot, now I'm forced to deal with it just by scratching the surface. And so I come to this point where I have to make a decision. Like I've got a couple of options here. Um, I could just bury it and forget that it ever happened and just say, we're, we're not even doing that. And then the reality is if I try to do that, a couple of hard rains, a couple of storms, and it's right back to the surface again. Or we can continue the process of digging and of pulling the things out that need to be pulled up to the surface so that this space can be restored and can have a renewed purpose. The reality is we are finished with the fire pit, but we're still digging stuff out. We're still finding stuff that we're having to deal with, and it's a process that is ongoing. I think this is a reality for all of us. Matthew is calling this out in this genealogy. He's saying there's stuff that you have tried to bury. Um, there is sin and brokenness. There is hurt and trauma that you have tried to bury. It keeps coming up to the surface. You can keep trying to bury it and keep trying to ignore it, or you can lean into it and you can begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do His healing work. Honest recognition, that is the beginning of healing redemption. We're trying to have some of these conversations as a church as well. As we're digging into the surface of our own shared history of where we live, uh, of our own shared history of the reality of uh, systemic racism here and now, not just history, but here and now, the reality of realities of economic injustice, of environmental injustice, um, the realities of the history of white supremacy, 
and acknowledging that within the church and in our nation at large. And it goes deeper than that. We keep following that trail, we keep digging, and there's more and more that gets uncovered. I'm really grateful for our friend Molly who recently challenged us in a way that was kind but courageous and said, we've got to keep digging into our history. We've got to realize the truth. We need a time of honest recognition of realizing that the land that I'm even standing on in this moment, the land that our church sits on and calls home, we need to understand the broken history and the tragic history even of the land itself, the reality of indigenous people who called this place home, whose stories have been erased. Indigenous people groups and tribes like Eno, the Okanichi, and the Shikori tribes. The thing is, you recognize those names, but you don't recognize them as groups of people. Me neither. That's my reality, and that's what I'm beginning to wrestle through. I recognize those names as the Eno River State Park, a place where we love to go to hike. To me, that's a place of leisure. I recognize Shikori, and I think about Shikori Hills, a place where music festivals are held. Okanichi, uh, the place where um, I recognize that as, as what used to be a racetrack in this history that goes to the you know, 1960s and 50s. And that's not the history of that name. It goes so much further than that. And so as people of God, we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to bring moments of honest recognition. That's just the beginning of the healing redemption that he's bringing in us. The same is true, not just for our shared story, but for our personal stories as well. There are moments of trauma. There are moments of shame. There are moments of guilt. There are moments of pain. There are moments of sins that we have committed, but also of sins that have been committed against us. And we have to recognize that as the Holy Spirit continues to bring these things to the surface for us, we have a moment of decision. Are we going to keep burying it and pretend that it's not there? Or are we going to lean into the project that the Holy Spirit is working in us? Are we going to lean into this restoration work that the Holy Spirit is bringing about? Are we going to lean into these moments of honest recognition that become the beginning of healing redemption? That's what Matthew is getting at in chapter one by including the names of these women in this genealogy. It's a radical move of honoring the stories of these women. It's also radical for the fact that he's confronting the people 
with their own broken history. But it doesn't stop with only the honest recognition of their broken history. He also, in doing this and including them in the story of the family line of Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world, he is pointing to the deeper reality and the hope of healing redemption that is possible through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, through the grace of Jesus Christ at work in us, through the loving embrace of the Father who is making all things new. These women that get mentioned here, we think about Tamar. Her story is told in the book of Genesis in chapter 38. And Tamar was this victim of injustice. Uh, In her day and time in this patriarchal culture, ancient place, ancient times, uh, women in that culture had next to no rights at all. And in her story, there's this brokenness and there's this injustice in the little bit of rights that she had getting stripped away from her. And so she takes justice into her own hands. She disguises herself as a prostitute. She deceives her own father-in-law, Judah, the, the, the head of the, who becomes the tribe of Judah. Uh, later, uh, when Israel splits into two kingdoms, one kingdom keeps the name of Israel. The southern kingdom takes on the name of Judah. So this key figure in Israel's history and Matthew is confronting them with the reality of his story, honest recognition about what happened to Tamar. She deceives him, uh, sleeps with him uh, and becomes pregnant by him. And it's once she becomes pregnant with twins and it's one of those sons who becomes an ancestor of the Messiah. This way of honest recognition, confronting that history, and yet telling this story of healing redemption. God sees her and God moves on her behalf. Then we get the story of Rahab. We get this mention of Rahab. Her story is told in Joshua chapter 2. She didn't disguise herself as a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, This was what she did. Uh, as a way of survival. And Rahab in the story ends up uh, bravely rescuing and hiding these spies from Joshua's army uh, in the city of Jericho. And she becomes a part of the turning point in this military battle, this key military battle. And along the line, she eventually takes her place within the family line of the Messiah. At this key point of Israel's history, this turning point in Israel's history, and becomes this key figure in their history by being brought into the Messiah's family line. Then we get the story of Ruth. We love Ruth. Uh, Ruth's story is told in the book of Ruth. Um, and Ruth is a foreigner. So she experiences this tragedy of the death of her husband. Her life gets marked by tragedy. Um, But beyond that, she's also a foreigner from enemy territory. And yet God brings her into the line. Uh, The Jewish people would have wanted nothing to do with her and her people. But God, in his grace, brings her into this family line. She ends up marrying Rahab's son, Boaz, and she becomes the great-grandmother 
of King David. Then we get the story of Bathsheba. Her story is told in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 11. And this is a tragic story uh, connected to David here, to David's utter betrayal and abuse of power. Um, she is married, it says, to Uriah, who was one of David's most trusted warriors in his army, one of David's closest friends. Um, and, and, and Uriah is willing to lay down his life to fight for King David. And yet while Uriah is away at war fighting for uh, the people of Israel and for King David and for his cause, David sleeps with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. And as a way of trying to cover up this sin, eventually uh, David betrays Uriah by ordering that he be placed at the front of the line in the thick of battle, in, in, in the thickest heat of the battle. And at the moment when the battle is raging, he, he orders that the army pulls back and abandons Uriah so that Uriah is killed in battle, murdered by David's plan. Brutal, utterly gut-wrenching story. Here's what we need to know, though. We need to be really clear about Bathsheba's story. A lot of times she gets painted uh, as this person who seduces David. And her relationship with David gets painted as this passionate affair, as this story of temptation and seduction. That is not true. And that is not the true way of telling that story. We have to remember the context in which it happened. Don't just read it through the context of today. Understand when and where this took place. Remember that David is not just this mighty uh, warrior, military hero uh, who has all of this military power at his disposal. Uh, he is the king of this divinely appointed monarchy. He is the divinely chosen king over the people of God. This person who is seen as a military leader, uh, as a governmental leader, and as a spiritual leader for the people of Israel. He is even called a man after God's own heart. And what we have in this story is not temptation and seduction and passionate affair. What we have in this story is David abusing his political and spiritual power. All of the power is his in that dynamic. And he abuses that power. And God confronts that sin in David. And God judges that sin in David but he refuses to reject Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is brought into this lineage of the Messiah. Bathsheba becomes the mother of King Solomon, the one who will follow his father David on the throne and become this image of what is to come, that a son of David will sit on the throne and reign over God's people. It's this glimpse ahead to the fulfillment in the Messiah. And God, in his grace, confronts the sin of David and refuses to reject Bathsheba. 
and brings her into this honored place in the story. He weaves this thread of her story into the family tapestry of the long-awaited Messiah and King and Savior, not just of his people, but of the world. This is what he does. In this beautiful moment of including these surprising people in this genealogy, Matthew is telling us a very clear story of the kind of Savior that Jesus is going to be. Matthew brings this honest recognition of the brokenness and this broken storyline and this broken family line that Jesus gets born into. But he also points to the healing redemption that out of all of this brokenness, Jesus is born in order to save and redeem and heal a broken world. And Matthew is telling us this story of honest recognition and healing redemption. He's saying to every one of us, when you begin to scrape the surface of your life and all of this stuff starts coming up to the surface, don't bury it away. Trust the Holy Spirit in this moment of honest recognition and trust that the future of that, that the honest recognition is just the beginning of what will become healing redemption. If you look at your past and you think that your past disqualifies you from being a part of this story, then Jesus looks at you and Jesus says, I have a past too. Look at this brokenness that I have come out of and look how I have brought healing to the entire world. God in his brilliance, like an artist who pulls together all of these broken pieces and forms them into a stunning mosaic of grace, honest recognition that sets into motion healing redemption. This is what he's about. This is what the story is about that he is telling. This story arc of all of salvation history, but also the subplot of your own life. He is weaving that thread into that larger tapestry and saying, I am bringing your story to a point of redemption as well. Will you trust me with this process? Will you trust me with this process? I can't promise you that it's going to be easy or that it's going to be quick, but I can promise you that the honest recognition will be just the beginning for healing redemption. This is the kind of story that is being written at Advent. This is the kind of story that finds its fulfillment in Advent, that larger arc of the story. But it's also in the subplot of your life as well. Will you trust him with that? Yeah.
so glad that you have worshiped with us today. Remember that we are invited to be a part of God's story, the story that he is writing. And no matter where we come from, no matter where we've been or what we have done, he has given us and empowered us to tell this story. And so we invite you in the ways that God is calling you be sensitive to what he is leading you to do in this. And as you go, may you go with the joy and hope and the peace of Christ. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.